teaching today. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in the lives of our students at camp. Uh, thank you for the ones who go and, and uh, give a week or a long weekend to serve our kids there, to invest in their lives. We just thank you for each one of our youth leaders and, our, and youth director Steve. Lord, we ask that you would work in our heart right now as we open your word, as we hear from you, Lord, that your spirit would move in this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if any of you remember this moment. So, that, not what I'm doing with my hands, what's on my head, okay? I don't remember what I was doing there. That was one of our first Sundays back in August of 2020 when we first came back to in-person gathering and I needed to, we all had to wear a mask and I needed to preach with a mask, but I thought, how do I preach and you understand me when you can't see my mouth? And so I was just scouring the internet about what could I wear that would count for a mask but people could see me. And this local company was making these visors but, you know, the shield didn't actually block air, so they had the visor with this shroud. So I bought one, and, uh, and it became known as my beekeeper suit. So you, were you right there for this? You remember this? Or saw me online? So uh, the reason I say that is I blame the beekeeper suit for what happened in the rest of the story, because I wore it only about two Sundays, and I realized I was not getting enough air in there. I was kind of out of breath by the end of the service and a little bit lightheaded. And so I blame the beekeeper suit for the fact that on the way home from church that day, I got in a car accident. So I'm blaming that of low oxygen. But here's, I did tell the story before, but it really illustrates what we're doing today. It was that very Sunday, I'm driving home from church. I don't live very far. I get on the freeway southbound right here, and this truck passes me with a big trailer, a big dump trailer filled with a bark dust or some kind of really light material like that. It wasn't the big heavy beauty bark, it was the light beauty bark. And it was just flying out the back. He's going 65, right? So I was just like, look look at this guy. Look at this mess he's making. Oh, why don't you cover your load? And I'm just, just very upset about this. This is a mess. So, you know, he blows by me. I get off on sunset exit. I go left or east. And as I'm coming to the intersection, that's a big road there, right? I think it's six lanes, you know, we got two and turn lanes. Um, I'm coming eastbound, and I'm in the very right lane, and as I'm coming up, there's that truck in the left lane. And I observe that this trailer has one of those screens that rolls out and clips over the back, which means it takes you like two seconds to cover your load. You don't have to tie anything. And I'm going, look! Look, there's a built-in tarp. There's a, this guy, and I'm just... And as I'm proceeding to judge him and explain about his traffic violations, I roll right through a red light and hit another car in the intersection. That guy really had some traffic problems, but me, right? So it was kind of this, you know, <laughs> uh, hey, worry about yourself moment, right? Now, fortunately, I just clipped the guy's back end, and he pulled over, and he said, well, this car had 300,000 miles on it. I wanted a new one anyways. So he was actually quite cool. Um, it was a little traumatizing to my family that was in the car, and that was the end of that truck for me. But, um, 
But it was just this moment where you, you just have that moment in life where you're judging, 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 judging. All the while, I'm committing not the same traffic thing, but equally, right? Isn't that basic driver's ed? Look forward. That should you know, stop at a red light. Those are kind of first day driver's ed ones. And I missed them, right? And so it's real easy to do that. And so I, I tell that story today because we're going to talk about um, this idea of being uh, looking at someone else's issues, at judging someone else, and you go, wait, 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 why don't you worry about yourself? Why don't you not worry about what they're doing? You need to worry about what you're doing. And um, so we're going to look at that. Now, it's been a couple weeks since I've preached, so we're preaching in the book of Romans. And we're going to be in chapter 2 today, but last week we had Hans with us. If you haven't watched the interview with Hans, you really, 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 really need to go back on our YouTube channel, Northwest Church Bellingham's our YouTube channel. It was excellent. So I just want to catch you up as to why I'm telling that story. Where we left in chapter 1 described some heavy stuff. It described God's wrath against people who say, you know, I'm just not interested in you. So I want to just... Rewind just a little bit, get us where we were, and then come back to you know, where we are. And this will all link up here in a minute. So in Romans 1, 18, we saw this a few weeks ago. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or, or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So we saw this idea that generally out there, there's enough information and in creation for people to know that God is there and that he should be honored and thanked. We saw that, right? They didn't, but people said, no, mm-mm. And I likened this a couple weeks ago to your life being like you're on a car ride with God. He's driving the car, you're in the passenger seat. And he says, I've got you, I've created you, I'm taking you down the road of life. And somewhere along the way you say, you know what, I don't like the way we're going. I don't like the direction you're taking. I want to do it myself. I want to drive the car. And we on one hand might go, think God will be mad about that. And say, oh no you don't. But he does a very surprising thing. We saw this in verses uh, 24 to the end of the chapter 1. He says, okay, take the keys. Okay, you don't want me to lead your life. You don't want to honor me as God. You're not thankful. You don't like the journey I'm taking. You don't like, okay, drive your own car. And we saw that ended up being the wrath of God. He just gives you over. Go where you want to go. Turn down the road you want to turn down. And so the wrath of God against this general rejection of God isn't lightning bolts and fire and melt you down. It's go the way you're going to go. And it was this, this, this uh, threefold handing over. There was sexual immorality and same-sex attraction and, and the broken relationships from those things. And it resulted finally in just 
that you can't even function as a human, right? He was bitter and angry and foolish and rebellious. And, and so that was what we saw. We saw the wrath of God against people that say, I don't want anything to do with you. I want to drive the car of my own life. And God says, okay. And whatever mess you get into, I, you wanted to drive. So that was a few weeks ago. Where we're going to come today is that we watch out for the smug attitude. Because it's real easy to look at someone else's life, someone else who's driving illegally, all while the, you're doing the same thing. Like, well, I would never be the kind of guy that drives a truck down the freeway without covering my load of bark materials. I'm the kind of guy that always obeys the traffic laws, right? Crash. It's the same thing. And maybe some of you have experienced this. Someone viewed you as less than them based on their religious superiority. Yeah, I'm better than you. Look at that mess you're making. You probably deserve the mess you've made. And they, anybody been on the receiving end of that? You felt someone, someone look down on you. Someone say, yeah, yeah, they get what they deserve. Or maybe you've been on the giving end of that, where you've looked down on someone. Yeah, that's right. You look down and you thought, they get what they deserve. That's right. Yeah, and there's, so there can be this sense of a smug attitude, attitude of arrogance, an attitude of, look at that terrible thing they're doing. Because chapter 1 was all about, yep, people are doing terrible things, they reject God, and God says, go for it. But then we flip over to chapter 2, and he says, now watch out before you get a little bit smug. So here's our point today. Beware... God is completely fair. Completely fair. Yeah, he's concerned about the people that say, I don't want you in my life. He, he, there's a wrath we just read. But today we're going to see it's no different if you think you've got it all together. Watch out. God's going to look at your life just the same as he looks at their life. So we're going to beware. God is completely fair. So let's jump into chapter 2. That was just kind of setting the table. Chapter 1, 18 through the end of the chapter was all about generally rejecting God. But chapter 2 turns to those who believe their religious performance, their ethnic standing, their moral superiority is enough. And he says, watch out, not so fast. So we're going to do chapter 2, verses 1 to 16 today. It says, therefore you have no excuse, O man, Every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. 
but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. All right, that's what we're going to get to here. That's our passage. So the first thing is just understanding the style of this passage. You get this sense, you can call it a diatribe. It's, it's Paul speaking, but he's arguing or debating or inserting the argument of an imagined opponent. He's, he's adding in as if he's debating with somebody or voicing someone's objection and then addressing that objection. You see it in there, like in verse 1, he says, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. He's supplying the opponent in the conversation or the, the person who would challenge him. So this isn't really necessarily talking to a real person, but I would think what he's supplying is all the objections he's gotten. Everywhere Paul travels and explains the gospel, people probably say, hey, but what about this? And hey, but what about that? So he is able to supply the obvious objection. He's going to do it a lot throughout the book of Romans. He supplies what people would say. Well, then you would say this and you would say that. And here he's going to supply, oh, you who are judging. He's going to supply that person. And so the first thing we've talked about already, he's addressing the smug. He's addressing the one looking down on the ones in chapter 1 who've said, God, I want to drive my own car. And so the people are saying, oh no, we want God to drive our car. We do everything, he says. And look at those terrible folks. He says, watch out. Before you start looking down on people, right? Watch out. You have no excuse, every one of you who judges. Every one of you who looks on someone else's problem. Everyone who looks and says, yeah, they get what they deserve. They're terrible. He says, watch out. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the same things. It's just, it's, it's just exactly my car accident. While I'm judging one person's moving violation, I commit a moving violation. It wasn't the exact same law that we broke, but we both broke traffic laws that day, right? Maybe he didn't know how to use the tarp. I don't know. But I sure knew to look forward, and I didn't do it. I was too busy judging. Right? He says, we know the, the judgment of God falls on people who practice such things. Right? Do you suppose that if you, you, you judge those who practice such things and do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? So we've got to be real careful that we don't read chapter 1 and look out into our culture and say, yeah, there they go. Look at these people. They're living under the wrath of God because they've rejected God's wrath. And I'm never that kind of person. I only want to do what God wants me to do. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Be careful you don't become self-righteous and prideful because what if you do some of the same things? And it, it can be this idea where you think you have the inside track or you have a special favor with God. 
What I find interesting is he says in uh, he says something very similar to both groups. In chapter two, he says, "Therefore, you have no excuse to people who have a religious background." We'll talk about who I think that is. He said the very same thing in chapter one to people who to everyone, anyone who lives on earth. He says there's enough information in creation to see that God is there and that we should honor and thank him. It's not enough information to know him personally. It's not enough information to understand that Jesus is the Son of God. You need that to be specifically told to you. But every human should at least know God is there. He says that in chapter 1. He says, so you're, you have no excuse. But he turns to the same people, or to the other group of people who are religious, who are likely Jewish, he says, you have the same thing. You have no excuse either. Either group has no excuse. So I'm going to jump ahead here. You have no excuse. So, who's he likely talking about? I think he's talking, he's addressing the smug, he's addressing people that think that their status gets them off the hook. Who I am, what I've done, means I don't stand under the judgment of God, and I can point at them. So I think he's likely, in this argument, he's talking to Jewish opponents. Paul himself, with a Jewish background, as he's traveling, he often has conflicts with the Jews. And so a Jewish opponent would think, I'm ethnically born a Jew, therefore I have the favor of God. Our race was given the law of Moses. It was given to us, therefore we have the favor of God. And so it really had nothing to do with what they did. They thought they had an inside track based on their ethnicity, based on their history with God, and therefore it's you can look out on those Gentile sinners, those Greek people who are rejecting God in the mess and say, oh yeah, aren't they getting what they deserve? Isn't it terrible? And Paul's saying, whoa, 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 right? I think this could expand to anyone who thinks they have a favored standing with God. And we could expand this up to, well, I'm an American. Doesn't God do this for me? I mean, maybe some do. My political party gives me a superior standing. My education. Anything where you think I, who I am or my moral record is superior. Therefore, I can look down on that other group. And Paul's saying, hmm, I don't think so. You need to be careful. Because are you morally superior? Or are you doing the same thing? He says, you practice the very same things. Now they might go, no, we don't. We're faithful in our marriages. We don't have all those things that we read in chapter 1. No, we don't. We, we, we are living morally superior. We are obeying God. But if you look back in chapter 1, the list of things in the third grouping of evidence that you've been handed over by God, it's not the craziest list as you might think. If you look in 129, he says they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. Hmm. Have you ever just wanted what someone else had? Malice. They're full of envy. Have you ever thought, boy, they get away with everything and I don't? You say, well, maybe I haven't murdered. Strife. They were argued with someone at school, co-worker, disputed with a neighbor, deceit. Have you ever told a lie, falsified data? Have you ever been malicious? Remember, this includes social media. 
right? It's easy. Like, well, I would never do that, except for when I'm online, right? They are gossips, Ooh. slanderers, haters of God. I say, no, we love God. Well, have been insolent. Have you ever been haughty and boastful? Just think highly of yourself. Inventors of evil. And then he throws in disobedient to parents. Have you ever disobeyed your parents, right? Have you ever been foolish? Oh, I have. Have you ever been faithless, heartless, ruthless? So there's this sense of <laughs> just treading on God. He says, that, do you suppose that you judge those who, and then you're doing them yourself? Do you think God's going to not notice that? I mean, it's real easy to look down on another group, but he's going, but do you think he doesn't notice when you do that? Right? And it's this idea that you're sort of treading on God. Do you presume? It's to, like to scorn. Do you, do you think nothing of the kindness of God? And so what, what he's getting at is God could look down on creation and go, it's a mess, right? People are fighting people and stealing from people and harming people and rejecting me. And he could say, you know, I'm done. Lightning bolt, lightning bolt, fire, earth open, swallow you. But he's saying, you know, he's actually quite patient with you. He's letting you live. He's giving you life. He's let you live on his planet. And so it's easy to say, see, God's happy with me. And Paul goes, I don't know. If you want to get into a place where you become, you become smug or you start to think, God, you know, you're in a pretty good place with God. God really owes me, right? I'm in that special standing. It's really, it's anyone who thinks they have a favored standing. And so because of my favored standing, I can look down on them from chapter one and go, yeah, boy, what a mess. They're a disaster. And Paul says, hmm, be careful. Be careful. Why does he say it? Because what you do matters. Not your ethnicity, not your religious background, not your country of birth, not your political party. He says it's, it's not, there's no standing that absolves you from this. He's like, what, what you actually do matters. So he says, you can't judge someone else and then turn around and do the same thing. They yeah, but I have special status. He's like, nope, nope, right? Beware, God is completely fair. And some of us, we want that. Don't you hate cheating? Don't you hate when something's not fair? I'll tell you what I'm hating right now. I'm hating that when I turn on to watch the World Series, the Houston Astros are in the World Series. Not because they beat the Mariners, but because they cheated. And they got away with it. They cheated. I don't know if there's any Houston people here that are going to be upset, but hey, YouTube Houston, you cheated. Okay? I'm telling you, in 20, maybe you don't know the story. In 2017, they get to the World Series, and they, one guy who was on the team got traded to another team and told the whole story. They had a camera pointing in at the, at the other team's catcher. They could see the signs. They would relay those signs to one of the players in the dugout, and he would bang on a garbage can. You know, one bang was as fastballs coming. Two bangs is a curveball. I don't know what the code was. They had this code worked out so they could tip the hitter off. It was proven. And so the owner got fined, the manager got fired, There's, they even showed it last time in the broadcast, they zoomed in on Houston 2017 champions, like, no, they cheated, it doesn't count, does this, this only bother me, right, come on, it's not fair, they cheated, <sighs> I feel better, okay, but 
The point is we don't like cheating, but again, it really matters what we do. So God, we would cheat and we, we can't judge equally and fairly, but God is fair because he judges everyone by their actions. Not their favorite standing, not what you think about your moral record, not your ethnicity. Everyone's going to be judged by their actions. Did you see that? Verses 6, well, even verse 5 through 11, right? Because of, he said, because of your hard and impenitent heart. Right? Your, your hard heart, you're not responsive to God. You're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment is revealed. He's talking to Jews or anyone who thinks they have a religious record, a religious corner on the market. He says, you're getting hard heart about that. He says in verse 6, he will render each one according to his works. Now what he says, not what he thinks, what people do. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he'll give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. He's like saying, hey, no favorite status by your ethnicity, your background, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek, for God shows no partiality. Everyone's going to stand. And he says, oh, wait, you go to the special line over there. No, 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 you don't go to the special line. He's going to be completely fair. Perfectly fair. And so I'm going to offer some, some uh, <laughs> supposed objections. Hey, that's not fair. What if I didn't know the rules? You think that? Wait, wait, I didn't know that was a rule. Have you ever played a game with somebody and you, you do the move and they're like, oh, no, no, that's, that's against the rules. Like, but you didn't read that in the rule book. Well, it's a rule. Like, but I didn't know the rule. You could say that. What if, can people stand before God and he's going to judge them? What if they didn't know? What if they didn't know the rules? What if they didn't know the law? What if they don't know what they're supposed to do? Is there any? That's the next question. Verse 12. He says, For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. We're talking specifically about the law of Moses. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God. Do you see that? There's no favored status because you've heard it or has been given to you but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So what he's talking about here is this idea that if you know the law, you're going to be judged by the law. If you don't know the law, well, you're going to be judged by what you know. And we appeal to this all the time. Children appeal to some kind of unwritten code. Do you think, what, what would you guess is happening right there? Here's my guess. I, this is an internet picture. I don't know who these people are. The kid's riding a scooter. The little sister wants a turn on the scooter. She decides, I'm just going to get my turn on the scooter. So she goes over, and he's like, no, arm bar, I'm going to keep riding the scooter. Now, it could be the other way, that she was on the scooter, and he pushed her off the scooter. It doesn't really matter. At some moment, when mom comes over, he's like, all right, what are you doing? And she's crying, and he's happy on the scooter. He's going to appeal to the moral, natural law, isn't he? What's he going to say? I had it first. 
Is that a rule? Did, they, did the kids, when he was three, after his mom fed him his bottle, say, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to tell you the rule. If you have it first, it's yours. No. You just appeal to it. You just, I had it first. It was my turn. Hey, adults do it. Someone cuts you in line at the movies. Hey, I was here. No one says, that's not the rule. They might, no one says that. They might just be like, yeah, I don't care. But there, we live as if there is a rule out there that we all know and we should all follow it. And we appeal to it all the time. That's not fair. I was here first. I was driving this lane. You cut me off. There's this code that we believe exists and we act as if it exists. And it flies in the face of evolutionary theory. That's not what the sermon's about, but it does. Because evolutionary theory says the survival of the strongest. If this kid elbows her off the scooter, well, she better toughen up. But we say, no, you shouldn't hurt someone, right? We have these things we appeal to. Evolutionary theory should say, if I can get in front of line first, then more power to me, the survival of the fittest. But we say, no, cutting is wrong. Stealing is wrong. So we don't live by evolutionary theory. We live by the idea that there is a moral or natural law. I, this book C.S. Lewis wrote called The Abolition of Man I understand about 25% of this book. I just reread it again. I'm like, I, my daughter was reading in college. Like, okay, I'm going to pull that out again. I, can't, I do not understand what he's talking about in this book. But in the back of this book, he has an appendix. And he goes on to list. He calls this thing the Tao. But he goes on to list page after page after page in the appendix of ancient cultures and how the laws are very similar. So he lists ancient Hindu cultures, Chinese cultures, Jewish cultures, Roman cultures, Egyptian culture. And so if you want to look that up, he just says his whole point is all these human cultures for century and millennia have had the same rules. Don't take your neighbor's wife. You can read that in Babylonian. You can read it in Egyptian. You can read it in Jewish, the law of Moses. Why is that? Because we know. Because God put it in us. All the cultures say it's better to be brave and honorable and fight for your people group. Why is that? Right? All the cultures say you don't steal. And so if you want to look in that appendix and see, he just cites quote after quote, ancient book after ancient book, because there's this idea, if we're made by God and God is righteous and just and he made us in his image, inside of every human is a sense of right and wrong. Little kids live by it. We live by it. Ancient cultures have lived by it. It doesn't really change much. So that's Paul's point. I just said he was witnessed in many ancient cultures. That's his point. He's saying when the Gentiles who do not have the law, this is every culture that didn't get the law of Moses, that doesn't know the Ten Commandments, that never heard of it, they don't know what that is, but by nature do what the law requires. Right? The Ten Commandments, don't steal, don't kill somebody. Like, yeah. You know that. He probably didn't have to write it down, but he did. But you know it. Even if Moses didn't tell you, you know you don't kill your neighbor. Right? And if you do it, you know it's wrong. This is their law, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts. God puts right and wrong into humans. Right? And this is in their conflicting thoughts, accuse or excuse them. You know, oh, I actually did the right thing. I didn't elbow my sister off the scooter. She attacked me, right? Or, yeah, I did. You know. So there it is. God is completely fair. 
If you stand before God and say, I never ever heard of your Ten Commandments, he'll say, fine, we won't worry about those. What did you know? Did you know that you shouldn't lie to the government on your taxes? Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't, Moses didn't have to tell me. Did you know? I didn't know that. Okay, that'll be on the test. Right? Did you know that you shouldn't go 100 miles an hour on the freeway? I, I didn't know that. Okay. It doesn't, he's going to be fair. If you didn't know the law, Moses, that's fine. You know right and wrong because you're human. And I made you. So God's fair. If you know the law, Moses, you're like, yep, you know it. So let's pull that baby out and walk down the list. If you don't know, I say, fine. We'll set the law, Moses, aside. What you know to be right and wrong, that's what will be on the test. He's completely fair. And this is very scary. It says there's a day of judgment. We're all going to stand before him, right? See that in verse 16. On that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ. Everyone's going to go there. Everyone's going to stand before him. No special standing. God's completely fair. If, if you didn't know the lies, it's fine, it's fine. We'll just work on what you do know. Were you, were you, <laughs> did you obey what you do know as a human? So, that's where, we, that's where we get in chapter 2. Now, if you're someone, maybe it's new, or you're someone who even studied the Bible for a while, I'm, I'm wondering if something's troubling you. Is anything troubling you? Did this just teach salvation by works? Is that bothering you? Is anybody thinking like, wait, what? Is that bothering anybody? Is anybody still with me at this moment? You're like, how many more minutes does this thing go? Did, we just, did you just teach that? It doesn't matter. It just matters what you do. It just matters what you do. Did we just, did we just read that? Right? Yeah, we did just read that. I read it. Did you read it? Verse 6, he will render each one according to his works. I just read that. Right? He went right through it. By patience and well-doing, he'll give eternal life. For those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, there'll be wrath. There will be tribulation for every human being who does evil, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. And we just read that. So what we have to realize is chapter 2 is part of a bigger thing. On any given Sunday, I can only do you know this much. So if this is all you're hearing, don't get stuck right here. Chapter 1, verse 18, all the way through chapter 3 is one giant argument. We're just looking at one piece of it. So yeah, it does teach... Salvation by good works. We just read it. If you do them, you'll be righteous. If you obey God's law, he'll reward you. If you don't have God's law, but you live righteous, he'll reward you. It doesn't matter. Whatever law you know, that's fine. But what we get to is, no one does it. No one does it. That's where chapter 3 gets. So I don't want to leave us hanging and this will just be good and it works out. No, you get to chapter 3... Verse 9, and Paul says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. 
For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So yes, if you can live perfect, you're saved. But nobody can. No one can. No, you can't even keep the kindergarten law, right? Somewhere in there you've told a lie. Somewhere in there you've taken what doesn't belong to you. Somewhere in there you've cut and lying. Like, we can't even do it. We can't even do a kindergarten law, let alone God's law. So that's the point. Yes, yes, God is completely fair. Everyone's going to stand before him. Everyone's going to be a judge. And no one's going to say, yep, check out this life I just lived. Wrong. So that's the warning here. Beware, God is completely fair. But be encouraged. He's full of kindness. That was verse 4. It says, or do you presume on the, his little baby bit of kindness that he musters up with all his might? This is on the riches of his kindness. Overwhelming kindness. And forbearance and patience. Heck, God sees when we mess up and he sees our thoughts and he sees our actions and he sees the rebellion. He's not blind to what's going on in our life and the world. And he's patient and he's kind and impulsive. Don't you know that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? It's meant to lead you to a mind change and a life change that I actually need God. I can't do it on my own. If I take the keys and say I'm going to live my own life, I crash the car. If I think I'm doing it well and judging other people... I'm crashing that car too. Everyone's in a mess. Everyone needs help. And God is rich in kindness. That same word appears in Titus chapter 3. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we're never going to be justified by our works, but we can be justified by his grace. We might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The only way we're saved is by the grace of God. And that's where Romans chapter 1 launched us. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Because we can't live righteous, and we can't do it. Whether we have just said no to God our whole life, or whether we think we're in a favorite standing, we all fail. We all need the kindness of God and the grace of God, and we access it by faith in what Jesus has done. Right? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is the power of God to save us. He says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith. Not from your works. Not from your standing. The righteous live by faith. So there's a warning. God is completely fair. And every wrong is going to be evaluated. And every action done is going to come before him. And no one gets away with anything. But he's full of kindness. And he is willing to say, you're wrong and your punishment for your failure, I put on my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross. Though he was perfect. He was willing to say, I'll put that there and I'll give you his righteousness by faith. And that's how we access salvation. That's why this is good news. If you just stop in chapter 2, you're not going to quite get to the good news. And when we see the big picture, that's the good news. So for the followers of Jesus... 
We want to live in complete gratitude. We don't ever want to take a salvation in Christ and then turn and go, yeah, look at those. Because it'll apply to us. Well, watch out, you who judge. Let's just live out of just total gratitude. If you don't know the Lord Jesus and you think, I'm going to do it on my own, it's going to work it out, and God and I will work it out, I'm just telling you, you won't make it. We all fall short. You need the grace of God. And you just ask, Lord, forgive me. I need your help. My way is not working. Let me follow you. I want your son in my life. Give me your righteousness. You just ask. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we see both your fairness and your grace side by side. You will judge completely fair, but you've already taken the judgment on your son. Let us as Christ followers be thankful, grateful, humble. Never move into a place of arrogance and smugness. Let us rebels lay down our arms and say, I do need your help. Lord, we just pray that we would live for you, live for this gospel. We thank you that you love us so much. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.